Welcome to the Wednesday Bible Study. Uh, we are excited that you're here with us. I'm Rick Burgess, director of themanchurch.com, co-host of the Rick and Bubba Show. Uh, we are live from the uh, Rick and Bubba Studios, and if you're listening to the archive, uh, then know that's where we're coming from, or maybe watching the archive uh, here on the YouTube channel. Uh, we're in 2 Corinthians. Today we will finish chapter chapter 6, and even get through the first verse of 7. So make a note of that and go ahead and turn there if you want to. Uh, this this uh, Bible study is part of a men's discipleship strategy uh, that comes from themanchurch.com. Themanchurch.com established in March of 2020. Uh, and, and the goal, I mean, we, we do uh, you know a lot of things, but some of the things we've done, we certainly are not pioneers on, uh, doing conferences and doing services and men's gatherings. Those have been going on for a long time, and they certainly... Uh, play a role, but one of the things that have been sadly missing, has been sadly missing from men's ministry, is equipping, a discipleship, curriculum. So we really kind of focused right there and felt God calling us to that. And we have 40-week curricula available. You can find it at themanchurch.com. We have individual resources uh, for men to use on their spiritual growth as well. Uh, and you can find all that by just going to themanchurch.com. Now, when you go right now, you'll see that there's uh, two conferences on the homepage. Uh, we do have those coming up February 16th and 17th, Birmingham, Alabama, Sanford University, the Wright Center. Robbie Gallaty will be there. Uh, I'll be there. Rich Wingo, Andy Blanks, Chuck Hooten. If you want to join us, tickets are still available. Some good seats still there. Uh, also, you can join us in Starkville, Mississippi. That'll be March 8th and 9th. Uh, we'll be there. Granger Smith will be speaking, James Spann, Scott Dawson, Andy Blanks. I'll be speaking, and Chuck Hooten will be there as well. We'll also introduce our 2024 brand-new resources, a brand-new 31-day devotional, and coming this summer, a brand-new 40-week curriculum, and we'll tell you about that as well. So make plans to be with us. Uh, men are coming from all over the country, uh, the, most of them already doing the strategy, coming to network with other men's ministries, and some people coming for the first time. We would certainly love for you to be there. Last year, it was one of the most powerful worship experiences that I have ever had. And, and I, there's something about men gathering and worshiping the one and only living God. He honors it. So I hope that you'll be with us. And get those tickets at themanchurch.com before they sell out. Let's open in a word of prayer, and let's jump right into our study today. Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to unpack your holy word. Uh, help us to discern properly today. I mean, there's some application coming at us from the Apostle Paul. May we take it and apply it to our own lives today. Help us, Lord, uh, through the power and discernment of your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's let's look. Last week we dropped off at, at verse 13 in, in chapter 6. We're going to pick up in 14 uh, today, and we'll roll through uh, chapter 7, verse 1. So, we're, Paul is is going to walk through some things that he's already said, and and he's going to to talk about um, this concept of, of of this command to be sanctified. You remember last week, and it drew some. You know, one of the things that Adler and I talk about quite a bit. Sometimes I wonder should we just turn turn comments off here on the Bible study? You can see it because there's there's some sometimes there's some people that boy they're. Just email me if you have questions. Please don't throw things out in the public forum that confuse people. But anyway, um, we, we're glad you're there. Uh, but let's let's understand what's going on here. We're studying the Bible, and if you have any questions, you you, you reach out to me personally. I'm I'm happy to try to help you. But anyway, there was a, a, there was a clear um, uh, truth that Paul was talking about last week, and that is this truth that if you have been justified by the power of God, 
as, as John says in 1 John, if God's seed now abides in your spirit, there's a sanctification that will begin. Uh, Romans 8 even tells us, and I know this has been kicked around and that some people say that he's saying something that, that I would say he isn't saying. One of the things that, that Paul is saying that about the predestiny in 8, and he's saying that if we are justified, it is predestined that we will become like Jesus because of the power of Jesus. So Paul takes on this concept that somehow somebody can be justified and then never be sanctified. He, he makes a strong point that he doesn't really see how that happens. Uh, but anyway, sanctification is something that we, that we do. It's action. There's no doubt about that. You see that in 1 Peter. As a matter of fact, we have a 40-week curriculum called Impact. And it's based uh, right there on Second Peter, not First Peter. Second Peter chapter one, when he says, "Make every effort to add to your faith these things," and if you do, and you make every effort, don't miss effort. We're not talking about effort to be redeemed. We're talking about uh, we're talking about effort to be sanctified. He said, "Then you will not fall, and you will be fruitful." Uh, so these things must be important. Uh, and, and but this is this, and he's saying you've been justified, but you still have a sin nature, and you still live in a sinful world. So make every effort to to supplement to your faith these seven things, and it will produce, and you have an impactful faith. You will be sanctified. So uh, we're we're going to talk about this, and he's going to review the command to be sanctified, which and, and to be a separated people. But he's also going to give us six reasons why separation is essential to us if we're to grow in grace and increase in the knowledge of God. Uh, so the command itself is coming in, in 14a. So listen to this. This is the command itself in 14a. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Do you know that was in the Bible? Don't be. Now, we see that and we think of one thing that's quite obvious to us because it's just throughout Scripture. You don't marry people that aren't in the faith. Uh, have you ever sat down and tried to counsel a couple that decided to try this? And you realize pretty quick, what's the problem here? Well, our faiths don't match up. Well, that's going to be a problem. I want our children to be to, to find their own way. I want our children to be raised in the church. I want our children to be raised in this religion. I want our children to be raised in my faith. Well, and God's just sitting there going, I told you all not to do this. But what's the main reason throughout Scripture that we are told not to be unequally yoked. The main reason, because the pagan will corrupt you, and it happens throughout Scripture. I, I try, I try to warn uh, my children all the time. I, I'd like to think that if I get in a crowd with bad people, that I will influence them more than they influence me. But it never really seemed to go that way. I don't know what it is about evil. It, it, it the evil people always seem to have more influence. Uh, and so you always have to, this is, this is how I list my relationships. I have people that I completely trust myself to in my inner circle completely. Then I have the other end of the spectrum, people I don't have anything to do with. Okay. That, that I certainly will continue to, to talk to them and evangelize and to, to talk to them about the gospel, but I don't spend time with them. I don't go in their house. They don't come in my house. I do not give them access to my life. And then there's those that are kind of in between. You know what I call them? Arms distance people. I don't fully trust you, but I don't banish you. But I keep you at arm's distance because I don't quite trust you. 
So those are the three, the way I operate. Uh, and I have found that when I don't operate that correctly, it burns me. So, uh, so he's saying that we are not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And this is things, if you go back to Deuteronomy 22.10, you see in Deuteronomy this analogy that is being used. It says you don't let an ox and a donkey, of course they have another word for it in the King James Version, uh, which may apply more to what I'm talking about, uh, but you, 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 don't, you don't have an ox and a donkey plowing together. You don't. Well, you have to also look at this in, in, the, in the Old Covenant. One of those animals was declared unclean. But then you also look at this, just the, the logic of it. One's bigger than the other one. It won't work. And, and so this is the analogy that Paul is talking about because they've been told this as God's people. He always wanted them to be set apart. He never wanted them to, to be unequally yoked with the pagans of the world. And every time, matter of fact, he has to deal with them about this all the time. And every time they do it, it messes things up, just like God said that it would. And so that that goes over into the new covenant, into the church, a little bit differently. But I'll tell you what hasn't changed. We don't marry people outside the faith. And I would not let anybody in our inner circle that's outside the faith. This notion that we can play games with wicked people and not be impacted by it, it's just, it's just naive. Young people, listen to me. It's naive. It will not work. You certainly don't give up on them, and you certainly continue to minister to them, but you don't bring them into your life. You do not bring them into your life. And Paul's saying, look, I want to be very clear about this. And then he goes on to tell us, you know, in 14b, the reason. And, and, and it's reason one. Remember, he's establishing the commandment, that is, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So he establishes that. Now he's going to start telling you why. Okay? So 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 look at, look at B. Uh, 14b, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What You know what he's saying? If you've been redeemed, the reason why you don't unequally yoke yourself to unbelievers, one reason, he says, your new righteousness, Jesus has now made you fully righteous, and your righteousness demands you don't do that. It's a, it's a demand of righteousness because it cannot associate in an intimate way either through an, a close friendship or a marriage, of course, it cannot do it because it cannot partner with lawlessness. It can't. It would cease to be righteous then. And so he is saying, so you can't do that. Think about why, why Lot was in Sodom. Think about it. He violated this. We see that Scripture calls him righteous Lot, which means God had declared him righteous. So he should have never been in Sodom. But he went there. And here, and we know for one thing, he went there to make money. Anybody ever compromise your righteousness to make money? Uh, well, Lot did, and and Lot compromised it because he knew that he went into to Sodom, and there was a lot of opportunity to make a lot of money. Now, unfortunately, you've heard me reference this a lot. He brought his wife into that mess. He brought his daughters into that mess. He brought his family into that mess. And what in the world happened? Let's go to 2 Peter. 2 Peter uh, is talking about righteous lot. I just mentioned 2 Peter a minute ago. Uh, he's talking about this situation, about what happened uh, with Lot, and, and he talks about this um, uh, in, um, in, let's see, where is it at? Where is it at? Where is it at? Where is it at? I didn't write down 
it's verse seven and eight, but I didn't write down what what Second Peter what chapter it's at. So I was I was writing too fast. But anyway, he talks about this in Second Peter, and he talks about what 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 this cost. Here it is, right here. It's in chapter two. So look at look at seven and eight in Second Peter uh, chapter two. He's already talked about uh, the the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah being turned to ashes by God in verse six and condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what was going to happen. And look at 7. And he rescued righteous Lot, underline that, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as the righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormented, uh, he was tormented his righteous soul over the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. But here's what we know, unfortunately. He was tormented by it. He didn't like it, but he foolishly thought somehow he could be unaffected by it. And we know what happened, don't we? He's at one point, he's given up his daughters for men to rape them because they're so wicked. Because they were trying to actually rape the angels because they thought they were men. Uh, and, And Lot's like, don't do this. But he's at the point, he's so compromised that he gives up his daughters for rape. So do you think this living in the wicked society turned out okay? Then we know that when destruction came down, which Peter's talking about, that righteous Lot went to his son-in-laws and said, hey, we got to leave, and they laughed at it because he had no credibility. See, his righteousness, he might have he been righteous, but he didn't look righteous. So he lost all of his credibility as a man of God, and wouldn't nobody listen to him. And then we know the worst of the worst. His wife turns around and looks at Sodom because she so loved it, and who taught her to love it? Lot did. So is it apparent that we will see Lot in heaven? Likely. His wife? Probably not. See how serious this is? She looked back at Sodom because her husband taught her to love it, and it cost her her life, and likely her eternity. So this is why it's so important. You say, well, it compromised my own righteousness, but it looks like Lot still still was forgiven by God. Maybe so, but look what it did to his daughters. Look what it did to his son-in-laws. Look what it did to his wife. So you see, when we start playing games and we're unequally yoked outside of what our righteousness demands, it may not cost us eternity, but boy, it seems to affect other people because we've lost our credibility. We have no impact now. And so that's one of the reasons our righteousness demands it. What's the next thing that we hear in 14C? One of the reasons that we are not unequally yoked with unbelievers. And then Paul goes, what or what fellowship has light with darkness? How do you think that light and darkness can coexist? They can't. And, and, and you remember the, uh, the twilight zone? You know, a lot of us try to live our faith. I did this. My hand's up. Okay, everybody hear me? My hand's up. Everything I'm talking about, I've been through, unfortunately. I wish I could sit here and go, you people need to really pay attention to this because I did all this perfect. I can't say that. I can tell you the damage it caused when you don't because I've done it. All these things I'm embarrassed to say I've done, unfortunately. And one of the things I tried to do, you've heard me talk about this, is live in a spiritual twilight zone. What is that, Rick? Well, I got one foot in the light and I got one foot in darkness, and I'm trying to make that work. I can dabble with darkness and still remain light, but you ever seen the light at twilight? Can anybody see good? It's pretty dim, isn't it? There's still some light there, but it's dim. 
And that's our faith. When we try to put one foot in darkness and one foot in the light, we are, we are, our, everybody looks at our, what should be our light, and all they see is twilight. They see dusk. They see dawn. They don't see light. You ever try to look around when there's just a little bit of light? You can't really see clearly anything, can you? And so we don't make good decisions because we're not seeing anything clearly. That's why it can't happen. He says another reason you can't do this is there's no way you can truly have the light of Christ and then dabble in darkness. It can't be done. These two can't coexist. They're mutually exclusive. Are you, are you taking what you do? Am I taking what I do this serious? It sounds like Paul is really serious, and he's really laying down some pretty convicting things. But you know what he's saying? I thought y'all had figured this out because it seems logical to me. I think the problem a lot of us have, here, my hand's up again, we don't truly understand redemption. We don't truly understand justification. We don't truly understand what a big deal this is. We spent an entire, uh, the 40-week curriculum that's coming out this summer, we spent an entire 40 weeks unpacking all the concepts around what we studied in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians when Paul says, to the justified, behold, the new has come and the old has passed away. Behold, you are a new creation. And I think we hear that and go, yeah, I, I hear that, but like everything changes? Yes. Radically. And what we do is go, well, I just don't want to go to hell, but I don't, I don't want this to change the way I live or anything. I don't want to get away from these people that I know that are bad for me, that every time we get together, I end up drinking more than I should. I end up cussing more than I should. I end up watching something nasty. I end up putting something out of, I, I start doing coarse joking and cutting up again. I just like them. I'm going to keep hanging around them. Hey, are you talking to them about Jesus at all? Well, but they don't really want to hear that, but they know what I believe. Any of this sound familiar? Any of this sound familiar? But so do you love them so much you'll compromise Jesus for them? When we do that, we don't love them or Jesus. We're just using them for pleasure, but we don't love them. Amen. Ain't no way we love them. So 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 then you get to 15A. Now we're in 15, and he goes to the next reason that we cannot be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Redemption demands it. Redemption demands it. Here it is. Um you know what? And I, I, I work so. Oh yeah, I got it right here. Okay, boy, boy, Rick, you did write down how to say it. All right, here we go. Um, what accord has Christ? And this word here is a, is you only see this one time in the New Testament. You see a lot in the Old Testament. Uh, Belio. What does Christ? What accord has Christ with Belio? Well, what in the world is Belio? Well, this is a this is a word that is used, like I say, only one time. Uh, right now in the New Testament, you you hear it a lot in the Old Testament. It really stands for utter worthlessness, hopeless ruin, extreme wickedness. Sometimes you'll even see in the Old Testament, it's a word used for Satan, Baleo. And here's what he says: if you're if you're if you've been redeemed, that means Christ has now taken over the authority of your life, and the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your spirit, how in the world can you have the Holy Spirit be under the authority of Christ, be made fully righteous, ushered into the, the, the presence of your Holy Father, who is holy, 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 and you're still going to hang out with worthlessness, trash, garbage, wickedness? 
Christ can't have accord with that. He can't be in partnership with that. It's something that we started doing around the office years ago, and if you want to adopt this, you can in your accountability. Let's say that you come into work, and I'll give you an example. Uh, we had a person who's, who, who works with us, uh, and they came in and started talking about a concert they'd been to. Uh, and the concert uh, featured an artist that would have been Baleo. And so this is the question we would ask. How did Jesus enjoy the concert? To what the person replied, he didn't like it. Well, why did he go then? How, how did Jesus like the movie? He, he didn't like it. So why did you take him there? How, how, does, how did Jesus like that joke? Not He didn't like it. Well, why was he exposed to it? And that's what Paul's saying. Why do you expose Jesus to this stuff? What accord does he have with this garbage? None. Now, I will say this, praise God for the Holy Spirit. I, have, I still make this mistake from time to time, but I can honestly say my spirit is troubled and my spirit tells me quickly, you shouldn't have done this because we're holy and we don't like this. You shouldn't have done this. And you think, so we almost get to the point with that battle between the flesh and the spirit. And I'll tell you what, what helps me, even though I still, unfortunately, make this mistake from time to time, if I can take on the mindset that Paul's telling me to take on. It's not some minor ordeal. Well, I would just like to do this because it's what I want to do. So what you want to do, so what, so what your flesh wants is more important than what the Holy Spirit wants. You're picking the flesh over the Spirit. And the worst one, and I want to caution everybody on this one. Again, my hand's up. I used to say this. I want to warn all of you. You know what the worst thing you could say about this kind of stuff? Well, I mean, I understand what you're saying, but it don't really bother me. That's even a bigger problem because it should. If it doesn't bother you, then there's something wrong with the health of the Spirit in your life. It, it, apparently it doesn't have any sensitivity. Or worst case, it's not there. But see, people say that like they're so spiritually advanced that they can unequally yoke and, 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 and get, live in the pagan world and not be affected by it. They're trying to tell you how holy they are when what they're really telling you is how holy they're not. Because it's not bothering them. They don't have a check in their spirit. We all make these mistakes, guys, but I'm just asking, do you have a check in your spirit when you do? Because we should, according to what Paul is saying. He said they can never, Paul says there can never be, never can there be a, a, a relationship, a partnership, a concord between filthy, satanic things and Jesus. They can't. He cannot partner with that. Next, he goes on to say that, I love this, because this is kind of where I have to look at myself, and I remember this. We've said that all these things are the reasons why. I like when Paul gets to 15b. You know what the next one he says? Logic demands it. Your ability to reason this should demand that you don't unequally yoke with unbelievers. Just, just walking around sense. You know, let's face it, common sense is not common anymore. He says, what in the world do we 
who are now followers of Jesus, what in the world do we have in common with an unbeliever? Other than the fact that we know what it was like to need redemption. What he means is the things they are one going to do and see and watch, what, what, where are you ever going to say that matches up with them? Every, have you ever dealt with it? My hand is up. Anytime you start running with the wrong crowd, here it comes. It's one conflict after another. I don't want to be around that. I don't want to watch that. I don't want to drink that. I don't want to fill in the blank. I don't, I don't, I don't want to look at that. Because they don't have any conviction. Right? I can tell you this. Anytime I step into a crowd of unredeemed people that I know, the next thing I know, I'll hear myself cuss. You know why? Because that's what they do. And before I know it, here comes that old Rick trying to rise up. You know, because you know what it is? My flesh goes, whoa, wait a minute. We getting fed? I'm back. I'm back. I've been waiting on this. I was so hoping you would try this. And, uh, and, and so why would we put ourselves in that position? For what reason? Just to go along, to get along and, and hang out. You can't find any friends that, that, ha- that share your faith. I've got some, my closest friends, I'll share my faith. Because if you don't, you can't be my close friend. Because I know what I'm capable of. Amen. And, and, and so that, the, just the logic of it is what he takes on next. Then we get to 16, and he says this. Another reason we don't unequally yoke with unbelievers, he says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? You know, he's saying here, your religion demands it. We, 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 don't, we don't put any gods before the one and only God. Idolatry has no part with God. As a matter of fact, it's the first commandment that he, that he hands down. And really, if you watch him punish his people throughout the Old Testament, it's always idolatry. They just couldn't stop. They were always kind of hedging their bet you know, and you you know, we talked about this before. If you, if you go through all the kings, um, you know, Israel, the northern kingdom, never had a good king. The southern kingdom, I think, maybe get, got three. But if you look, even the kings that did okay, that didn't get on that that very small list, they would try to take care of things in the immediate. What would it, what would the Bible always tell us? But the higher places, they left those altars to idols they didn't go mess with them they kind of cleaned up around here but they knew just in case they wanted to go back and worship an idol they could still go up to the high places and find those altars still there now you see josiah you you see that when he started this cleansing it says and then he went and knocked down everything in the high places too but a lot of the kings said yeah i'll deal with this right here and i think a lot of us have that attitude i know i did i'll clean up some of it have you gotten rid of all your idols? Well, yeah, the ones I didn't really care about. The ones I still real, like to worship, I still have. Those that were easy to give up, I did. The ones that are hard to give up, I didn't. So what do you mean? Well, I still put things before God that are more important to me than him. But these are the things that I really love. More than God? Well, when I look at my devotion to God versus devotion to this, apparently. And see, Paul says, how can you claim to be redeemed and have that attitude? God's God is now he he you can't so then you say well we don't really have a temple anybody know what the temple is in the new covenant your body 
And you know, he says, don't defile the temple. Don't bring idols into the temple. Well, in the new covenant, that's our life. That's, that's our bodies. That's what, what was it Paul tried to warn us about, about, about the temple being talking about laying with a woman. That's not your wife. These sexual sins. He goes, the sexual sins just go another step. I mean, you're going to take the temple of God and lay with some prostitute. You're going to join Jesus to a prostitute. And then you kind of go, oh, well, I never looked at it that way. He goes, well, that's the way it is. You're the temple now. He has taken up residence in your body, in your spirit. So don't defile it. And we have to think like that. I mean, that, that's what he's trying to be sure that we understand that the very belief system that we have demands it. And then 16b, revelation demands it. Look at B. For we are the temple of the living God, as I just said. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Anybody remember this from our study from the Revelation? So we are now the temple of the living God. That's the revelation. Let's, let's turn to 1 Peter this time. Let's go to 1 Peter, and this time I actually wrote down the chapter, so I don't have to try to remember it. Uh, 1 Peter, and we go to chapter 1, and we're going to look at probably some of the most convicting verses in the Bible, or it is for me, and I remember we studied this. Uh, and if you, if you want to get that archive, uh, folks, it is out there, our study of First and Second Peter. So in 1 Peter, I remember when we, when we went through this, how it, how it impacted me in such a way because I started looking at this a little bit different because of, of the demand, because it is, it is so hard-hitting. And y'all might remember us doing this in 1 Peter. I'm going to start in 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You're like, yes, grace, I love it, and we should love grace. But then there, there, then comes how we're supposed to live after being justified. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Y'all have heard me say this before, but some of you are new. If I was given the authority of God, which I have not been given, I sure would like to change that, be holy in some of your conduct. But it doesn't say that. It says all of your conduct. Now, of course, Peter is also quoting uh, Leviticus 11.44 when he says, I am holy, so my people have to be holy. So let's examine our lives and see if that's what we adhere to. If, if we are unequally yoking ourselves with anything that compromises God's holiness, we should not do it. Because he says, I, I, the one who called you is holy. God is holy. He's now you are now the temple of the holy God, the one and only God, who's described as holy, holy, holy. And I'm reminding you, he's reminding you know, the Hebrews there who have now become part of the church, I'm reminding you what we were told about, about holiness. Now, I want to be real, real clear here, and, and I had this today, and now I think I've, I've turned off my, my phone. But Oswald Chambers, it was interesting. This was actually today's devotion. And he, he did want to clarify something. I want to be sure you, you know what I'm saying, but I also want you to know what I'm not saying, okay? Because I'm not saying 
that we live a holy life, therefore that makes us redeemed. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, and this is what Oswald Chambers says, holy behavior is an effect of redemption, but it does not accomplish redemption. But what Paul is saying, he's talking to us who have already claimed to be redeemed, and that's what he's taking on. He's saying, well, if you've been redeemed and and you've been justified, well, then the effect of that should be that there is a sanctification and a holiness that begins to reside in you and begins to be produced from you as an effect of redemption. And so what we have to ask ourselves is, is are we seeing that effect of redemption? And uh, because one thing that, that Oswald makes very clear, and, and, uh, and uh, my phone's spinning, is that you got to be careful acting like that this is what creates redemption. He says, because if that's what you're riding on, you're not going to do well. Here it is. Personal holiness is an effect of redemption, not the cause of it. If we place our faith in human goodness, we will go under when testing comes. I hope that's not what you're walking in front of God with because you would not have accomplished it. But what he is saying is personal holiness, which is what Peter's talking about, what Paul's talking about, personal holiness is an effect of redemption. does not cause it, uh, but it, 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 if we place our faith in just our human goodness, that's not what this is saying, so don't do that. Uh, it's saying, but it is an effect of redemption, so we, we can ask ourselves that. Do we see that effect in our lives? And Paul and Peter say, well, you should. I love what Peter says even more than how Paul writes it. Peter is reminding us that once we've been redeemed, we really can't claim ignorance anymore. And he says, so how can you be defeated by former passions that your flesh had when you were ignorant? That was before you were redeemed. You had no hope then. But now that you've been redeemed, you can't really claim ignorance anymore. You're supposed to now be obedient children and then you should now, what Peter says in Second Peter, begin to supplement to your faith, make every effort, things that are part of sanctification because God has now called you to holiness and you have now been given the ability to have holiness flowing from you because of redemption. So you can't be unequally yoked with people and things that compromise the holiness of God since you are now the temple of God. So now... Paul is going to kind of repeat the command um, in, uh, in, in 17 and 18 when he says, Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So this, where this is coming from is Isaiah 51 11 and 12, it's, it's the great prohibition. Come out from among pagan people. So should we be immersed in, in a bunch of pagan people? No. Come out from there. Don't, don't be there anymore. Uh, I, I remember when I first started, um, had been I thought I'd been demoted, but I'd actually been promoted to morning radio, law before the Rick and Bubba show. I thought I'd been demoted. I, I was like, who listens to the radio in the morning? And, uh, and, and of course, the boss was like, normal people. Because, because I, I, had, I had a lost person's premier gig. Lost person's premier gig. I had to be to work at work at 1 p.m. Perfect for a pagan, okay? I did commercials till, till 2. I went on the air at 2 and got off work at 7. 
a pagan promised land, okay? Pagan paradise. And when they said that we're going to move you, you've done so well, you're moving to mornings, I thought, this is not for a pagan. What time am I going to be here? And, and they started talking about that. Well, I remember st- I started talking to somebody about morning radio. I'm like, Have you, and, and these other, you know what they said? You better say goodbye to your, your party friends because you're going to die. And I'm like, I, I got to say goodbye. Yes. The time you normally were going to bed is when you're supposed to be at work. And I'm like, well, I bet they wouldn't want me on the air drunk. Probably not. You know, well, that ain't going to work. But what what it was the it was even in my pagan life it was a version of you gonna have to come out from those people, or you'll never hold this job. Well, what's happening now is is Paul is saying what Isaiah was saying, what God was saying through Isaiah, now saying through Paul, my people can't stay in that mess. I won't have it. It's a prohibition. I do not want you hanging around pagans or immersing yourself in the pagan lifestyle. Jesus must make us clean. Uh, There's a whole, if you want to make a note out by the side, you can study this later. We don't have time for it here. Go to Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, Luke documents 20 verses, 1 through 20, about Jesus must make us clean. Why? Because we cannot be ushered into the presence of a holy God unless we are completely clean. And Jesus, the final lamb, makes us clean. He'll also pick up, after they're done in 20, also write down verses 34 through 43. All this is in Acts chapter 10. We studied this back when we did Acts. That archive is available for you too. Why don't you make this your homework today? Go, go have a look at that later. So we do not have any animals and all that stuff that's unclean anymore. The new covenant took all that away. But, but, though there may not be unclean animals in the new covenant, doesn't mean there's nothing unclean. Okay, don't don't look at that as a past that, that, that nothing's unclean. Let me tell you what's still unclean. A bunch of stuff. There's unclean music. There's unclean books. There's unclean entertainment. There's unclean sex. There's unclean lifestyle. And, and, and we are not to participate in any of this. That's not legalistic. That's obedience. Okay? Because it'll corrupt us. You know it does. I, guys, I can put on... This, this is it. I, I just saw the figures. And y'all have heard me make this point on Bible studies past. But let's make it again. Because I want to be clear on why this is important. We, I just saw the numbers Monday. The Super Bowl is coming up, okay? The Super Bowl. Are y'all ready for this? The Super Bowl. 30 seconds on the Super Bowl, $7 million for 30 seconds. Do you think you're influenced by what you see in here? Somebody's willing to give $7 million for 30 seconds of your attention. You think they do that because they lose money? You think they just throw away $7 million? You know what they said? It's I, to the tune of seven million dollars. I know they'll be so focused on this football game that I'll be able to get my message to them, and I will influence them to be to take part in my product. I got seven million dollars for thirty seconds. So don't you ever say that you're not impacted by what you see in here. You're a fool if you say that. You know you are. I know I am. Okay. That that that's just an excuse to keep doing what you're doing. You know better than that.
I can be in my truck, be instead of listening to the Bible study or whatever, if I just do some scan that I'm not picking the music and the wrong song comes on. And see, y'all are thinking about nasty music. I ain't talking about nasty music. I, I wouldn't have any part of that. That's not where that's not where my flesh really gets me because I, I, I'll turn away from that. I'll tell you where my flesh gets me is there's certain music that if I don't turn it off, I want to start drinking again. It's amazing how quickly I start. I can almost taste bourbon. I'm like, man, I, I kind of have a taste for that again. Now, keep in mind, that destroyed my life, destroyed other people's life, and nearly led to my imprisonment or death. And you give me a wrong song, and I find myself thinking that I can manage that again. What would it hurt to, I mean, relax me a little bit, knock back a little, maybe a little bourbon and Coke? And I just say Coke because I'm, that doesn't sound as bad as what I'm really going to make it. It's really going to be a lot more bourbon and a little, very little Coke. And you know what? Even though I've separated myself from that life, sometimes I idiotically, okay, I foolishly, like an idiot, think I can go back and manage it. And, and some of you say, well, you know, there ain't nothing wrong. I don't, I don't agree that just taking a drink of alcohol is a sin. You can make a strong case about that. So it's, it's not about whether you can drink. It's whether you should drink. And the answer to should, for me and probably most of us, is no. There ain't nothing good going to come from it. But I'm just telling you that the right song, not even nasty, just the chord progression, the way the song works, harkens me back to hearing those chord progressions and hearing that music while I was knocking back one. And before you know it, my, my flesh starts going, I remember this. Hello, old friend. Are we going to try that again? It'll be fine. You're a new man now. What's it going to hurt? You knock an edge off. You can do it at privacy house, sit on your back, then nobody will know. Who's that going to hurt? You know what I have to say? God. That's who. He delivered me from that. How dare me dabble with it again? Well, Rick, that's, that's legalistic. Or maybe it's just being holy. Maybe that's what it is. Is, is, some, is there anything in your life that you're even allowed to do? Paul says there's a lot of things I'm allowed to do I shouldn't do. Is there anything in your life that is so important to you? Is there anything in my life that's so important to me that even if it damages my effectiveness for the kingdom, I'm still going to do it because I can't? I'm, I'm examining my life right now. I hope you are. Oh, wow. So even if I can, doesn't mean I should. That's right. Not if it compromises your holiness or compromises God or compromises the witness and confuses people. I, I had to tell a young man that one time that uh, decided he was going to show me how free he was in front of me and try to, he wanted so bad for me to engage him in the alcohol conversation and he was drinking in front of me. And then he finally, because I wouldn't bring it up, he'd say, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly okay to do this. I said, yeah, you are, but you probably shouldn't. I said, did you know that I actually had a drinking problem at one time? No. Did you know the Bible says that you're really not allowed to do that in front of people if it bothers them? We're told not to do that in front of people. Did you even check to see if it bothers me? No. See, see you're so tied up 
and show me how free you are. You haven't even taken the time to study Scripture to understand how you're supposed to strategically be acting right now, and you are not to drink that in front of me if it bothers me or could cause me to stumble. The Bible told you, you, since you know the Bible so well, it's interesting you missed that. You ever seen anybody not know what to do with the drink that's on the table that's not finished yet? It just kind of sat there kind of awkward on the table in front of us. And Now, he did. He, at one point, he finally just moved it off to the side. And I said, see, you, you, you learned something today from an older man. We're not allowed to do anything that causes other people to stumble. We're not allowed to do anything that bothers somebody else. So that's kind of what Paul's talking about. And Acts talks about, you know, we, we, we don't have unclean animals anymore, but that don't mean we don't have unclean things. And here's, can I put this to you, and I'm going to apply this to myself. This was John Phillips, and I'm trying to think who he gave credit for this. He might have been his own, his own word. Um, I think it was John Phillips on this one. He said, here's one thing I apply to my life on these things, these so-called gray areas of I'm, I'm allowed to do it legalistically, but, but I still shouldn't. And this is a tough one. It, it, it really did convict me this week studying for this. He says, if it's doubtful, then it's dirty. The only things you should do are the things you have 100% peace in your spirit about. If it's doubtful, stop trying to justify it. Right. If it's doubtful, it's dirty. Why do you need that? Why do you want to have anything in your life that's doubtful? And, and I, will, I will tell you, this has been a learning process for me. I was really committed to this for about 20 years of my walk with Christ. And I will admit to you openly, my brothers in Christ and, and sisters who may be watching, I found myself thinking I had gotten to the point that I might could dabble in some things that I am allowed to do, but only to come to the conclusion I still can't. I shouldn't. I'm still learning. But l- let's don't stop learning, okay? He says we do not mingle to, to the degree that we compromise or defile ourselves or cause anyone else to be defiled. If it's doubtful, it's dirty. 17b through 18. Touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Do you see it says, touch no unclean thing, and then I will welcome you? I'd underline that. Touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you. So if I'm touching unclean things, will he welcome me? Apparently not. But it is a great promise, and we're going to leave on the great promise, okay? A wonderful reception. If I will remain pure, if I will not defile myself, if I will not unequally yoke myself, if I adhere to his call to holiness that only he can empower me to do, a wonderful reception is waiting on me. He will receive me. And he won't just receive me as a stranger. He will receive me as a father receives his son or daughter. You ever realize how big a step that is? You mean to tempt nothing? See, this is Romans chapter 8. What, adoption? Co-heirs with Christ? Adopted sons and daughters of the one and only living God? Where we can crowd Abba, which was a very casual name for your daddy? that uh, the Jewish people did not call God under any circumstance, but Jesus now allows us to call him Abba if we are received by him as his son or daughter, adopted by him. I don't know how many of you here have adopted children. Does anybody treat your adopted child like they are lesser than your biological children if you have both? Of course you don't. 
They have the same standing as any of your children, or they should. I hope they do. Uh, and, uh, and so this is the relationship we have through Christ with God if he receives us. And how does he receive us? When we're fully righteous. How are we fully righteous? Under the authority of Christ. So we have a call. As we found out, all, here, here's where we are. This is what we've been told by Paul up to this point, and then we'll do 7-1 and we'll be done, okay? We have a call up to this point through this, this letter, 2 Corinthians. He's told us there's a call to service. You remember studying that? He said there's a call to suffering. Remember that? There's a call to separation. And then he says there's a call to sanctification. So we just heard about separation, and then 7-1 says here's the call to sanctification, it's a claiming process, not health, wealth, and, not health, wealth, and prosperity garbage. It's, it's, he's reminding you this is what you have access to because of your redemption. Since we have these promises, what does that mean? Everything we've just talked about. Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion, and underline this, in the fear of God. Why don't we talk about that? So he, he says this. He says, here's the deal. The promises, how mighty and wonderful they are. The promises are not promises that I've made. These are promises that God has made. God has said these promises and access to this life through your redemption, I now put in your account. You now have access to them. Now, we must access them, but they're there. They're in the account. So we take action, back to 2 Peter 1, make every effort to supplement to your faith these seven things. If you have never done that um, that 40-week curriculum, we have that. It's called Impact. We'll walk you through every bit of that. We'll go 40 weeks talking about these things. We must take action and claim what God has put in the account. Not redemption, but obedience produces a holiness. We do have access to being holy, not of our own work, but of God's power. But there are there are things that we should do and take action according to Scripture. Remember, Paul was talking about all kinds of action things we've talked about here at length. None of them had anything to do with his redemption or his justification. They had to do with his sanctification. They had to do with this day he was going to face God and wanting to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done with what? What I put in the account. Did I put it in the account? No. Did I play a role in that? You did not. I'll put it in the account. Did I play a role in accessing it? Yes, because I allow that. So there's a cleansing process, it says. We are to cleanse ourselves of sins that defile the body and sins that defile the spirit. This sin, oh, I love this line. Sin is a radical condition, so it calls for a radical cure. Sin is a big deal. New resource coming out. Uh, we'll have it at the Birmingham conference, and then it'll be out after that everywhere. We, we will launch at the Birmingham conference. We'll tell you about a new curriculum coming this summer, but we will have available for you there and then beyond, once it's out, the new 31 devotional, and it's entitled Sin Always Matters. Sin Always Matters. The cost of sin and the power of grace. That's And it walks you through all... We'll, you'll get a better understanding about this radical condition, and that is our sin. It's a really big deal. It was such a big deal, it created a chasm that we could not cross. God couldn't have anything to do with us. 
And so then he poured out his wrath on himself, his son, and then that son went and got us and took us across that chasm to be right with God. So it's a radical condition, and you saw what happened to Christ on the cross, and you saw what he went through. It required a radical cure. And, and one of the ways that we, that we understand who we're supposed to be is right here. The Word of God is one of the cures to this radical condition. Do you not agree what God says is radical in here? Now, we, we don't want to treat it that way. We, I don't know what it is with us. It's one of the reasons why we all are, are, are loaded with pharmaceuticals. We don't want to do anything that takes effort. Surely there's a pill for this. Surely there's some way for me to, to be successful but not have to work hard. Surely. And anybody who is successful, somehow it was ill-gotten gains and it wasn't fair. They, they got something I didn't get a chance at. No, most of the people I know that are radically successful are very hard workers. A lot of them are not even all that talented naturally. They're just go-getters. And, uh, and so this process requires radical changes. And I'm here to tell you it's radical, it's continuous, and, and it, it requires that to, to be perfected. And, and if you look at what he's saying here at the very end, he says, bringing holiness into completion. What does that mean? It means bringing to an end. It, mean, it means that, that we must finish. I, I, I say this to all my friends that are like me that are in the fourth quarter. I say it, we say it all the time. Let's finish well. Very few people do. Let's finish. Let's not phone it in right here at the end. Let's finish. And, and so that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, because here's what I've done with my sin over, over, over too much of my life is, you ever, have you ever had things, you ever been around people that can't quite finish a project? They, they never finish it. I, I told you all that I get high on completing a project. There's nothing that, that, that I ride the wave of efficiency. I love to have something complete, and I said, it's finished. I did it. It's done. I do not like things when they're incomplete and they're not finished. It drives me nuts. So, and, and that's the reason why I don't like when things aren't efficient. Oh, this, this is not getting handled. What, you know, and, and Sherry said to tell me, we cannot go into every place and you restructure the line everywhere we go. I, I literally did that at Christmas. I said, if I could get my hands up, this is not efficient. Everybody's very confused. We don't know where. Why don't you have a line over here of people who called in orders and then this line over here for people who are picking up? Why are we mixed? It's causing a lot of confusion. Call-ins, pick up. Would we all please do that? And everybody's like, he's right. And everybody started moving. And um, they didn't like me that much there at the place as they kept. Uh, they didn't care for it. But I'll tell you one thing, that line started moving better. It really did. And so I, I can't stand incompletion. So why, do I, why am I so satisfied with my sanctification remaining incomplete? Shouldn't that bother me? What does? And so what, what Paul is saying here is this is going to be a continuing process. Don't ever get to the point on sanctification. This isn't about earning redemption. This is about the effect of redemption. Don't ever get to the point that you look around and say, that's about as good as God can make me. It's never going to be complete. But God says he will complete it in us. And then he says, what's our motivation? What's our motivation to finish? What, why? 
Fear of God. Let, let, let's get real about that, what he's talking about here. Okay, let me tell you what he's talking about right here. There's two ways this is going to happen. You're on your deathbed. And it's ticking. And you know what you start thinking? I'm about to meet God. I'm about to stand before God. Are you terrified of that? Are you shrinking at the thought of it? I, I, I should have. I should have dealt with that in my life. I should have done that. I, I don't know that I'm ready to see him. Well, if you fear that not being right, then let that motivate you and me to never stop our sanctification. Or the other one. Is that a trumpet? Did I just... And all of a sudden you look, people start just vanishing, and you're like... I'm about to meet Jesus. Oh, no. Or would you go, I'm about to meet Jesus. I can't wait. I, I'm running. I'm running to him. I can't wait to see him. I can't wait to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. He knows my heart. He knows my motivation. He knows that I'm not perfect. He knows that he's about to rid me of this sin nature. But he knows my heart. And he knows my heart was completely devoted to him. Not somewhat completely devoted to him. That's what Paul said the motivation is. We're going to see him. We're all going to do the beam of seat. And Paul says, maybe fearing that moment would do you some good. If nothing else can motivate you, the damage you do to your family, the damage you do to people, if that can't motivate you, damage you do to yourself, if that can't motivate you, May I suggest one motivation? Fear of God. Fear of God. So, a lot for us to assess today. If I can help you at all, rick at burgessministries.com. Let's let this resonate. Let's ask ourselves that question. Where am I in this process? Where am I on what Paul said about being unequally yoked to pagans are the things of the pagans. What in my life right now am I yoked to that is out of place with my redemption? And get rid of it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Just individually, just sanctify us and, and convict us and, and, and help us, Lord. We, we got no hope without you. But you said if we're redeemed that you have put your power in an account and your conviction and your spirit now dwells in us. Make it loud, Lord. Make us so uncomfortable with sin that we just cannot continue with it. By your holiness and your power. You are holy, we are not. Make us more like you. And forgive us, and we repent of us continuing to try to make you more like us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much.